Our Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us life back. We pray that as we hear your words, that your Holy Spirit will rouse us to come up higher to the standard which you want us to come up to. Give us the Spirit to teach us where we all individually may be falling short of your glory. And help us to rise up to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Our High Calling, October 3 Youthful Zeal and Courage Needed I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. 1 John chapter 2 verse 14 The work of God is in need of youthful ardor, zeal, and courage. Mental and physical vigor are essential for the advancement of the cause of God. To plan with clear mind and execute with courageous hand demand fresh and uncrippled energies. In order that the work may be forwarded in all its branches, God calls for youthful ardor. Young men and young women are invited to give him the strength of their youth, that through the exercise of their God-given powers, through healthful thought and vigorous action, they may bring glory to God and salvation to men. God calls upon you, young men, to make the most of the powers entrusted to you. Cultivate the habit of doing your best in everything you undertake. God is your master and you are his employed servants. You are ever to be learning in the school of Christ. You are to bring your entrusted capital of physical and mental energy into your work. Mental effort will become easier and more satisfactory as you put yourselves to the task of understanding the deep things of God. You can rally the mind's best powers and with a sense of your accountability to God, you can do your best and you will not cease to advance and to conquer difficulties. Do not settle down in slothful ease, making no special effort to accomplish your work. Make a choice of some part in the large vineyard of the master and do a work that will require the exercise of tact and talent. I make an appeal to the youthful disciples of Christ to arouse, no longer to indulge in pleasure-seeking, in self-love and ease, no longer be controlled by inclination and by the lusts of the carnal heart. My prayer to God is that the converting power of His Holy Spirit may come upon our youth, that they may become walking agents to win scores of youth to Jesus Christ, that they may be among the number who shall be accounted wise, who shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and as the stars forever and ever. Amen. Alright, the topic, youthful zeal and courage needed, in summary is an appeal to the youth. And by the way, youth does not mean 
just a young man in his teens youth in my understanding will be from your teens till every time you have strength you are still a youth the bible says i think david said that god made him to have the strength of the youth even though he was per- perhaps in his 50s or so and even moses did works that many youths will not do today though he was old god gave him strength because he preserved his strength by good habits and even at the age of 120 he was still strong so god is calling every man and woman generally to work for him and then he is calling them to, telling them the manner in which they should work in the reading we saw somewhere where it talked about god's having the need for these people but then there's something i took note of there where in the first paragraph where it says towards the end of the first paragraph god calls upon young men to make the most of the powers entrusted to you cultivate the habit of doing your best in everything you undertake god is your master and you are his employed servant so everything we undertake we have to cultivate the habit of doing our best in the book of ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 1 of course we are told to remember the creator in the days of our youth meaning that a time is coming when even when we want to serve god we will not have the ability to because we've lost the physical strength youth has the capital of strength that you will not have when you are much older not even just strength but you have less burdens to think about a time may come and the one who is a youth today will get married and when he does get married he will have another responsibility or she will have another responsibility and that's why god calls upon us in the days of our youth when we don't have much burdens on us when we don't have like harandiski to see four children holding on to your empty pockets that you have to think about i have seen many people who in their married life find it difficult to do activities and service for god doesn't mean that they are not having devotional life but i've even listened to some who say even their devotional life goes down not that marriage must always do that to people but it's just a reality that i've heard people talk about so that should make us understand that if you want to give god your best give it to him now now that you do not have these burdens and responsibilities upon you now that you have the strength it is not a bad thing to do some people feel like their youth should be spent selfishly upon themselves that when they are older they will now think of serving god i mean think about it now how does it sound to you god is even hearing you say that you are saying to him that i will use the best of my energies for self then when i am much older the leftover leftover strength the remainder as if god is a dog that you give him you when you have satisfied yourself just because you cannot finish the food then you call upon your dog and then you throw the food to him say take and there are some youth who feel too wise to serve god yeah you have your first class when you went to school you are very intelligent and you feel that that intelligence should not be wasted in studying the bible and going for evangelisms going door to door teaching people the word of god telling them about telling just message telling them about the coming threatenings of god or about the love of god 
some feel too intelligent or too wise or too special to use themselves for God. Personally, I felt I I thought about these things when I was in my in the university days, and I said when the thought came to my mind, the truth is that I felt disgusted because I feel the devil was trying to bring the thoughts, and I didn't entertain it even for a little bit. I know I didn't entertain that thought, like. Ah, uh, can't you see you are you are you, you studied this course and so, in fact somebody told me recently, man, your certificate is wasting. You, know? you have a certificate in engineering. Do you know how many people are looking for it? As if to use myself or anything I have for God is a waste. You see, nobody nobody should see it as a waste. No one should see it as a waste. God gave His Son to us. Are you intelligent? He gave you that intelligence to you. Are you rich? It is him who blessed you. And if you compare yourself to Christ, your intelligence is nothing. Your strength is nothing. Your wisdom is nothing. And your wealth is nothing. But he left all these things to come and save us. As in simply to save us. It is no big deal then. If you understand. If you if you can understand. It's only a lack of understanding that will make someone feel like he's doing too much for God. When he drops all he's doing and give time to the service of God, teaching people about the word of God and breaking it down to them. So that's the first point I want to make. Let no one feel like they are wasting their energies and their time and their talent when they are using it for the work of God. The, 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 the three angels messages that we have today were given to us by people like Annie Smith, Uriah Smith, Jane Lobro, Ellen White, James White, who were highly, highly intelligent people. And Smith left this her uh, admission into a prestigious university. At a young age, she had the option of either working in the publishing ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and proclaiming the Third Angel's Message, or going to that school and becoming one of the most uh, maybe renowned academics in the world. But she left it to come and work in the vineyard of the Lord for a meager sum. I don't even think she was being paid. And these were people who were far more intelligent than ourselves. I mean, I, the other names I mentioned too. Even Ellen White, who didn't go to school. You can see how intelligent she was also. So it shouldn't be a big thing to any of us. What do we really have? What do we have that other people have not had? And then if they've dropped these things for the sake of the kingdom of God, especially in their youth. That's my point in the youth. So let no one think that like they're that they're wasting their time. The next thing I really want to talk of is how God said we should walk. That whatever we undertake, that we should cultivate the habit of doing our best. Why is God saying this? In the book of First John chapter four, verse twenty, it says, "If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen?" Now you would want to take that further. God says, cultivate the habit of doing your best in everything you undertake. If you cannot cultivate the habit of, do, habit of doing your best in everything you undertake here in this earth for men, then when God calls you to walk in his vineyard, what's going to happen? The same thing will repeat itself. That character of not doing the best will come out and you will not be able to serve God well. God has brought human relationships for a purpose so that when we walk with our fellow men, if, if when we learn to do things in the right way so that when we now want to work for God whom we have not seen we'll be able to do the same way we worked for those whom we have seen 
God knows that it's a test of character when he sees the way we relate with ourselves. I want to read something from the Youth Instructor, January 28, 1897, talking about how the youth should work. January 28, 1897 of the Youth Instructor. I'll be starting from paragraph paragraph uh, let me see paragraph 3 talking about Christ he says day by day he walks not by violent efforts but by little acts constantly repeated until he can train shrub and flower into perfect form and beauty thus the grace of Christ works upon the human mind and heart as an educator going down now to paragraph 5 it says some youth are much opposed to order and discipline for the past two days we've been talking about systemic order in life following a timetable here it says some youth are more they don't like it i'll continue the reading they do not respect the rules of the home by rising at a regular hour they lie in bed some hours after daylight when everyone should be astir they burn the midnight oil depending upon artificial light to supply the place of the light that nature has provided at seasonable hours. In so doing, they not only waste precious opportunities but cause additional expense. But in almost every case, the plea is made. I cannot get through with my work. I have something to do. I cannot retire early as I cannot go to bed early. Thus, they are sleeping soundly when they should be awake with nature and the early rising birds. The precious habits of order are broken, and the moments thus idled away in the early morning set things out of course for the whole day. Now, I want to just pause and say something. I remember yesterday, remember God was reading about Job and when God said about the hills. And, and a question God asked Job was, have you, how did he put it again? As in, have you, yes, commanded the morning, that's it. And I thought about it, commanding the morning. Have you really thought about it that God is the one maintaining this earth the way it is? The earth is not on autopilot. That it is Him. That's what the Bible says in First Colossians, uh, in Colossians, sorry, one sixteen, that God is the one who is controlling continuously, keeping the earth and everything in this world in its harmony. Then I thought about it. I said, man, God must be really an orderly person. Do you know what it is to follow the same system for oh, for 6,000 years, doing the same thing over and over again in an orderly fashion? And I said to myself, that means if I'm not an orderly person, I don't think I can work with God. God looks at us and says, this person, he doesn't follow system and order. He cannot work with me. Because he's a very, very orderly person. Very systemic. He follows timetable to the letter. I mean, God has timetable and follows it to the letter. Then I felt the way human beings talk sometimes when they say, I cannot work with this person. Just because of one small thing they see in a human being, they will say, this kind of person, if, he, if I see him doing this, therefore he cannot work with me. Then what more God, who is very particular and follows order and system, he will not be able to work with us and we won't be able to work with him if we have not learned to follow order. And that's what the youth is asked to do. Now I'll go on with the reading. Oh, is the next statement here. I didn't even know. That's paragraph 6 now of the same reading. It says, Our God is a God of order, and He desires that His children shall will to bring themselves into order and under His discipline. Would it not be better, therefore, to break up this habit of turning night into day and the fresh hours of the morning into night? If the youth would form habits of regularity and order, they would improve in health, in spirits, in memory, and in disposition. It is the duty of all to observe strict rules in their habits of life. 
This is for your own good, dear youth, both physically and morally. When you rise in the morning, take into consideration as far as possible the work you must accomplish during the day. If necessary, have a small book in which to jot down the things that need to be done and set yourself a time in which to do your work. If it is the work of the bedrooms, see that the rooms have a proper airing, that the bedclothes are separated and that the entire room is freshened with air and sunshine. Allow yourself a certain time in which to do in which to perform this work. Do not sit down while it is yet unfurnished to read any paper or book that may interest you, but say, I must do this work in the given time. Some of us, that's what happens. You may be doing one work and the next thing you get distracted with one book that you saw somewhere. You understand? You drop the broom, sit down, keep reading it or take your phone, press one thing, two thing, WhatsApp, the work is still left undone. We are told we shouldn't do that. That's a mark that you are not serious. I continue. Your room may contain little ornaments placed there for admiration, but if you would have an eye single to the glory of God, you would do well to pack away these little idols. In handling, dusting, and replacing them, many precious moments are spent that might be employed in needful work. But if these trinkets, trinkets are not to be stored away, then you have another lesson to learn. Be expeditious. Do not dreamily take up every article and keep it in your hand as though loath to lay it down. It is the duty of those who are slow in their movements to improve in this respect. The Lord had said, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In preparing the meals, make your calculations. Giving yourself all the time that you know by experience you will require in order to cook the food thoroughly and place it upon the table at the proper time. But it is better to be ready five minutes before the time than to be five minutes late. In washing dishes also, the work may be done with dispatch and yet with care and thoroughness. Slow, dilatory habits make much work out of very little. But if you will, you may overcome these fussy, lingering habits. The exercise of the willpower will make the hands move deftly. Now, she, she's going to give some examples of some youth who she wanted to work with and the kind of the reasons that she found why she can't work with them. And we should examine ourselves and ask, can somebody say this about me too? And then we'll make changes when necessary. Now, she says, when I have been searching for a girl to help with my housework, certain young persons have been recommended to me. But when I inquired of those who have previously employed them, the reply was concerning one she will not suit you she's very slow you will have to pay your money for having your work done in a slovenly manner and you will feel that it is money wasted slovenliness means not doing things in an orderly fashion you know, putting things in the wrong place at the wrong time just in a very disorderly way of another it was said she has no method she has not cultivated caretaking she needs someone beside her, for she has not breadth of mind enough to comprehend the situation, to understand how one thing after another should be done, nor to use tact in her housekeeping. I was warned against employing another because, while everything was in disorder, she would sit down in the midst of her unfinished work and with newspaper or book in hand, by the way today to be phone in hand, forget all about her duties. Of still another who I thought would please me, I learned that she was untidy. Another was disrespectful. 
For persons to whom she took a violent fancy, she would show great consideration going to any lengths in order to receive their approbation and flattery. But she had no reverence or even respect for anyone else. But I reasoned, if she's a Christian, she will surely take counsel. An expression of sorrow came over the countenance of my friend as she replied, I am afraid you will be disappointed in her. If you insist upon having things done as you wish, if you plainly set before her the mistakes she is making, instead of correcting them, she will say that she does the best she does the best she can and will take upon her the air of one who has been much injured. She does not respect those in authority, but will have a snare in her mind, which, if not revealed to you in words, will be manifest in her expression. Her opinions too are not kept secret but expressed freely to others. I have myself been compelled to live over this experience to my sorrow. Another will not spend only minutes but hours of the day in needless talk and toss squanders much precious time. These matters have been looked upon as little things and almost unworthy of notice, but many are deceived as to the importance of these little things. They bear strongly upon the great whole. God does not regard anything as unimportant that pertains to the well-being of the human family. He gave his only begotten son for the body as well as for the soul and all is to be consecrated to him. So, as I've read through this, it is for us now to examine ourselves. I'm not going to comment on them and see where we need to make changes as youths because if we cannot do our work in a good manner, when, when we want to work for God, we will also reveal the same character. May God help us to make these changes, to see them first of all, make them and then give ourselves to God to work for him in Jesus' name. Taking that first John chapter 2, verse 14, that was given as the memory text. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Specifically, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. In reading this, it's like he's saying that the youth has overcome the wicked one already. It is like he's saying the word of God is abiding in the youth already. Now, if you're reading this, the, the point, uh, if you're reading this, you may feel, well, um, I don't think I've really overcome the wicked one. You know, I don't even think the word of God is abiding in me. I don't even think I'm strong. That is that is where that is where uh, you get to receive the promise. That's the condition for receiving the promise. Romans four verse four and five tells us that to him that walketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted to him for righteousness. You don't need to be strong for you to feel strong. That is with respect to this verse now. You don't need to. Uh, you just need to understand that God is trying to say something that will come to pass if you, if you will come, um, if you will work together with Him. You are strong by the virtue of you being a youth, but as He is saying that I'm writing to you, He's making you, He's making it specific to you as an individual. Take it as if it's a personal message that God is sending to you. I'm writing to you, young man or young woman, because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you say amen to that and then make sure really that the word of God is abiding in you let your works show it's abiding in you by you taking up your Bible as you already have said that you should put forth effort 
to understand the deep things of God. In the reading today, paragraph three, it said, "You are." It says, "You are ever to be learning in the school of Christ. You are to bring your entrusted capital of physical and mental energy. See that entrusted capital now, whereby that First uh, John two says that I write unto you because you are strong. You are to bring your entrusted capital of physical and mental energy into your work." mental effort will become easier and more satisfactory as you put yourselves to the task of understanding the deep things of god you don't have the understanding of the deep things of god already or from birth as a as a legacy no one receives mental effort properly as a legacy from birth no one receives the deep things of god the understanding of the, of the deep things of god as a legacy from birth but it says mental effort will become easier and more satisfactory as you put forth as you put yourselves to the task it's a task of understanding the deep things of god so when john when christ through john was saying i write unto you young men because you are strong and the word of god abideth in you it is saying do it it is not coming naturally it is saying you should put yourself to the task of understanding the deep things of god then you overcome the wicked one then also you put a fourth effort in overcoming the wicked one the things that uh, our brother had said before of those fossil lingering habits and the rest of them those things are ways and ideas habits that the, that the wicked one has has educated uh, most of us in and God wants to emancipate us from such ideas. He wants to emancipate us from such habits. So when we put the word of God into the whole situation, follow what has been told us this morning that, see, God is saying, I have overcome the wicked one. That means I have to put forth effort. There is hope in that direction. That there is victory as I put forth effort to overcome the wicked one. And it will be said of, of me also that I have overcome the wicked one in those habits that I have learned that are not of Christ. I know that if Christ were to be in my place, he wouldn't do so, so and so. He wouldn't stop his work and be reading a newspaper and the rest of them. I wish I have um, the reading, I would have read it where it talks about Jesus Christ, how he employed his time, how he would not allow anything to distract him when he's doing his work. When he only ha- when he has break, the next the only thing he would do when he has a break is to commune with his father, is to pray, is to find time to sing. Even when he's working, he'll be singing, but he will ensure that he will do perfect work. That the perfection he brought into the work he was doing was what we could see as a perfection that was manifested in his life during his ministry. So it has to be like that. And then I'll also add before I'll drop before I'll stop talking that when you are sweeping that room when you are doing whatever duty that you have to do in the house that is the commandment of god that god is god is wanting you to keep and perfect it's not only when you go out to share tracks or it's not only when you go out to um, do one thing or the other another portion of the spirit of prophecy says that once we are carrying out the duties that god says we should do in the home life and anywhere at all that we are verily doing the work that he has appointed that we should do ever since the world began number one number two that in that way we will not be we will not be saved if we don't do those works because that is the work actually he has appointed that we should do for our salvation and then also in that other way in that way the world is going to be condemned 
for their unrighteousness because you in what you are doing you are revealing christ in that work so let's ensure that these works will not be looked upon as little things as she mentioned before but that we are going to take it in hand as god have said that we have overcome the wicked one let us put it in reality that we have overcome the wicked one indeed and i pray this may be our experience in jesus name amen I have two things to say. Number one is on the fifth paragraph. I make an appeal to the youthful disciples of Christ to arouse no longer to indulge in pleasure seeking in self-love and ease. No longer be controlled by inclination and by lusts of the carnal heart. One thing I know that can dissipate our energy for usefulness and for God is pleasure seeking. That moment when you just want to watch that movie. That moment where you just want to go to Facebook and scroll down. That moment where you just want to make read some light materials and carol some things or jest or gist. And that let's say that's in the morning when you have your energy. By the time you finish such expedition, you realize that strength has gone out. You become more confused. By the time you finish overeating or doing some other things that may have sap your energy find out that you are, you've lost control maybe you had a plan to do something useful that day but just by indulging in these things you lose strength you lose focus you become maybe tired and sleep on so we need to make a decision not to follow inclination inclination is just impulses that come into your mind or suggestions that have no bearing based on the plan we need to make a decision to remove distractions, things that will just take you off. There are some visitations you make. By the time you are done with that visitation, you've lost all your useful time for the day. We need to know the things that are just things we take as means of indulging or looking for pleasure or self-love. So that's one thing I want to add up here. Then the second thing I want to advise it's in the last paragraph it says that they may become okay that they may become working agents to win scores of youth to jesus christ that they may be among the number who shall be accounted wise who shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and as the stars forever and forever so this line calls to soul winning the youth we would be called to soul winning opportunities. I want to speak of uh, some of the impediments and then share a little testimony. You see, as a young person, one of the things we have with us is timidity and fear. We're always afraid of meeting people, going door to door, or knocking on doors, or sharing a tracks, or asking a question, or engaging in a conversation in a bus, or something comes up and you, you know you have the answer, but fear will almost overwhelm you and you you almost feel like i should not have existed in this place and then you you miss the opportunity when you get home your guilt still overrides you you wish you had said that thing you wish you had given that track you wish you have given that bible study one of the challenges we face as youths is fear and anxiety but i want to share first the bible promises second timothy 1 verse 7 jesus would say for god has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind now we have our weakness in the timidity but here's a promise from god we, which we need to exercise 
there's another way to solve this problem we need to have an idea that or the confirmation that god is with us wherever we are now we're not going to put our mind on our fears just like abraham ignored the problem of his old age and ignored the problem of his wife's dead womb in romans 4 what he thought about was what god can do when we are meeting people we should not think about ourselves our our firm faith should be on what god can do through us it's not about us jesus will say lo i am with you even to the end of the age that line there even to the end of the age accommodates you it accommodates me it accommodates my fear oftentimes i will think of as i'm walking to these people now to give the bible story i imagine in my mind that god is with me i imagine in my mind that an angel is by my side and an angel speaking of an angel I remember gehazi and elisha when the so the syrian army came to attack them elisha saw the angels of the lord compassing them but gehazi did not see one and he was afraid but Elisha prayed that God will open the eyes of Gehazi and he did and he saw that an angel surrounded them and his confidence came forward. So we need to understand that God is with us as young people. We don't need to be afraid of the unknown or the people we see. And also continuing this line of thought, I want to read in a Christ object lesson to further deepen this impression. Christ Object Lessons, page 362 and 363. It says, But when we give ourselves wholly to God and in our work follow His directions, He makes Himself responsible for its accomplishment. He would not have us conjecture as to the success of our honest endeavors. Not once should we even think of failure we are to cooperate with one who knows no failure. Again, we are not looking at ourselves. We are not depending on ourselves. We should not be self-conscious in the sense of, okay, how am I going to, what, what if this, what if that, what if that. Self-consciousness can really make us very timid. Then, continuing the reading, it says, We should not talk of our weakness and inability. This is a manifest distrust of God, a denial of His word. When we murmur because of our burdens or refuse the responsibility he calls upon us to bear, we are virtually saying that he is a hard master, that he requires what he has not given us power to do. I'll stop here for a while now. But has God given us power to do what he's asking us to do? Yes. He said that he's going to be with us even to the end of the age. He said that he has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when we continue in timidity and fear and anxiety, we are saying that God is a liar, that the promise in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 is a lie. And no one would say God is a liar. The Bible says God cannot lie. So we should not let, let our fears overwhelm us. I'll still continue. The spirit of the slothful servant, we are often fain to call humility. But true humility is widely different. To be clothed with humility does not mean that we are to be dwarfs in intellect, deficient in aspiration, and cowardly in our lives, shunning burdens lest we fail to carry them successfully. Real humility fulfills God's purposes by depending upon His strength. So whenever there's a duty or responsibility, 
We should not think of our own strength. Think of the one who is asking to do the work. I'll still continue. God works by whom he will. He sometimes selects the humblest instrument to do the greatest work. For his power is revealed through the weakness of men. We have our standard, and by it we pronounce one thing great and another small. But God does not estimate according to our rule. We are not to suppose that what is great to us must be great to God, or that what is small to us must be small to Him. It must not rest with us to pass judgment on our talents or to choose our work. We are to take up the burdens that God appoints, bearing them for His sake and ever going to Him for rest. Whatever our work, God is honored by wholehearted, cheerful service. He is pleased when we take up our duties with gratitude, rejoicing that we are counted worthy to be co-laborers with Him. So, in this work of courage, in this work of being useful to God, when you tell it to the young person, a lot of things may come up. But God is saying, don't talk about your weaknesses. He who has called will qualify you. Still reminded of uh, Gideon. He had the same excuses, but God was the one who was promising. So our mind should leave ourselves. Remove the self-consciousness. Do the preparation. The pre- preparation we may have to do, but never trust or depend on yourself. Depend on God. And you see God come in a mighty way. I, I want to share a little testimony to this effect. I, I remember in 2013, 2012, 2013, where we were going for youth service and we are apportioned to those who take us in like before you get your own house you have to stay with fellow coppers or some of you who know the story and then before from there you get to set up your own house so i was the last to be selected in the group because everybody looked at me as i don't want to stay with this guy for whatever reason so i got paired up with another guy who was just like okay let me just stay with you now, as a youth, I, I didn't know anything. As in, I, was, I didn't know what to expect because he's a stranger. I didn't know him from anywhere. But God did a miracle, which I would just share in a briefing. We got together. I spent some weeks with him. And at, at the beginning part, he realized I was a Seventh-day Adventist. And then he said, hey, I've always had questions about the Sabbath before I even came for this service. And we sat down and we discussed. And I was looking at myself. If I hadn't known about the Sabbath, because before this time we had had some little studies, I've done some little Bible trainings, and I was wondering how God just led two of us together. And He took time. Every moment He he was asking, and we took time studying about the Sabbath, about the Sabbath. And, well, one of the ways God permitted me to stay longer with with Him was that there was a, a time when they didn't pay us for about two months so i was stuck in his house but those two months i had opportunity to study with him both on the diet like clean and unclean food as at that time that was the best i i, I knew and then we studied about um, um worshiping god on the sabbath day. he even joined me to church i just want to share another miracle in the miracle one day we didn't have water to go to have our bath we didn't have food and that day was the sabbath and he wanted to join me to church. So after our devotion that morning, we prayed and said, God, please, we need water. We need food. We didn't have the money because they hadn't paid us. 
and we didn't have money to even uh, to even buy food. We just were we were just managing ourselves at that time. Do you know what happened that morning? God did it so miraculous that it rained in the morning. As we saw the rain falling, we took out our buckets and went outside to fetch water for bathing. Then food, how do we take care of it? One of our neighbors, she couldn't speak English. She was just calling Koppa, Koppa. That's a Euro- in Yoruba. He was just saying Koppa, Koppa. She brought for us a bowl filled of boiled maize. A, a bowl filled with boiled maize. It was amazing. There were smiles filled our faces. And we could see how God proved his work, ordered events. Now, I couldn't do those two things. Where is my power to make rainfall? Where is my power to boil maize and bring it? I can't do all those things. I was depending on God. As little, I, I can't, as, as little as my knowledge was. This is 2012 and that's, this, this, if I consider my experience, these are the early parts of our Christian, of my Christian experience. So, but God did mighty things to prove his work. So in our work with God, God will make himself responsible for its success. We just do the little he asks us to do. And then he will finish the work. Today, he, the young man I'm telling you is a Seventh-day Adventist. He had, he had difficulties with his family later. And he was even asking me we should pray. Today, his wife is also converted. And the whole family has his own personal family now has become Adventist. So uh, it's not in our power. It's in God's power. We trust him and do what he wants us to do. And then his name will, and will bring in this cause of your, your youth, which we are told from the reading that God wants to bring through us. May this and many more be our experiences as we trust God in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the reading says, You are ever to be learning in the school of Christ. When God ordered Moses to build the sanctuary in the wilderness, it was a, a hectic task. You say, how could the work be done? I'm reading from manuscript releases, 29:1908. How could the work be done? Israel had been held all their days in the bondage of Egypt, and although there were ingenious men among them, they had not been instructed in the curious arts which were called for in the building of the tabernacle. They knew how to make bricks, but they did not understand how to work in gold and silver. How was the work to be done? Who was sufficient for these things? These were questions that troubled the mind of Moses. Then God himself explained how the work was to be accomplished. He signified by name the persons he desired to do a certain work. When he desired a work done on the tabernacle, he said, See! I have called by name Bazilel, the son of Uri, the son of Hor, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Skill in the common arts is a gift from God. He provides both the gift and wisdom to use the gift aright. Bazilel was the architect. This man belonged to the tribe of Judah, a tribe that God delighted to honor. Moses did not depend on the skills of the Egyptians. In ancient times, the Lord instructed Moses to build this sanctuary. Okay, I move on. He say, What an industrial school was that in the wilderness, having for its architects and instructors Christ 
and his angels, in the preparation of the sanctuary and in its furnishing, all the people were to cooperate. So that is what God is doing today. Maybe you th- the reading is saying we'll bring all our, if, if we're willing, bring all our powers and our brains, all the things God has given us and lay it before him. He will take these things and he will fill it up, increase our wisdom, increase our knowledge, our understanding, and our might. God is just like adding more to what we have. So when you, we present ourselves to God, we're not losing anything, but he's refining and ennobling and improving and upgrading us. So it's a wonderful reading. I really, really love this reading. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for your word that has been made flesh. We thank you for the encouragement that we don't, even though we don't have it all, you can make it all for us from scratch as you inspire people, as you help people in the past, as we have read here, help us to give you the freshness of our youth. Help us to remember you in the days of our youth. This is our prayer to Christ our Lord. Amen.